one of the things that I really enjoyed this summer when Manisa and I were in Italy was the way many of you in our church family kept up with us in our trip. Uh, some of you followed me on Instagram and others of you uh, read my blog and looked at the photographs and left comments there. And I've had people even this week, we've been back uh, several weeks now, but even this week people talking to me about the trip and about things they saw on Instagram and the blog. And so thank you for following us. But, you know, I, I posted a lot of pictures on both the blog and on Instagram. And those of you who are on Instagram know you can like pictures. These are the ones that, you know, stand out to you. So I, I, I like that. And I wanted to ask you, because which, which pictures you think people liked the most? Because we, we got to see a lot of things. We were, you know, in Rome, the Vatican, the Colosseum, et cetera, and Florence and uh, Michelangelo's paintings and sculpture of David, the beautiful waters of the Mediterranean, the ruins of Pompeii and the crater at Mount Vesuvius created by that volcano, the unique city that is Venice and so much more. We got to see a lot of things. We got to see our family and posted pictures of that too. But what do, you, what do you think were the most popular pictures, the ones that had the most likes on Instagram from our three weeks in Italy? Just tell me, what do you think, think it was? Here's the third most popular picture on Instagram from our trip. It's when Liam met us at the train station when we made it to Sicile um, to spend a week and a half with them. That was number three. Here's the second most popular picture from our time in Italy. When Liam met Liliana, our granddaughter, for the first time at the hospital. And the most popular and the most liked picture on Instagram was this one. So, yeah, and, and I, I thought about that. And I, well, the real reason those were the most popular pictures is because Liam was in all three of them. And, uh, but uh, you know, I have to be honest. At first, I was a little surprised that, uh, you know, pictures of the Colosseum and some of those historical things that we all read about here about and want to see sometime were not at the top. But the more I thought about it, I thought, that's really good. It's really good that the most popular pictures among our members of our family and the babies. That's a good thing because in the end, family matters more than history and people matter more than places, right? And I'm glad as I thought about it that you like my family because a church should like pastors and their families and care about them and and, and know how to love them. So that was a, a really good thing, and I, I thank you for that. Today, I want to talk about what God says in Scripture about a, a church knowing how to take care of its pastors. And I'm not talking just about me. I'm talking about Brother Steve over here and Jamie and Will, those who are called of God into ministry, and they are ordained to the gospel ministry. God called, ordained men of God pastors, ministers of the gospel. Because we've said in this sermon series that um, when you like the church, when you like something, you're good to it. You help it. You take care of it. So we've been looking at different ways as people of God who like the church, who love the church. How do we help the church? How do we take care of the church? What kind of church members does God expect us to be? We've looked at several things. Today, what does that mean when it comes to your relationship with those called of God into ministry? How do you like pastors? How do you help? How do you support pastors? I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Romans 15, chapter 15, as you see there on the screen. Now, I'm, I'm going to acknowledge that for a preacher to preach on how a church is supposed to treat preachers, 
can be a little bit awkward. Okay, I get that. Well, it is. I feel that. I got that. And I also, listen, I've been doing this long enough that I know there are a few cynical people in this world who would think every time a preacher does that, he's being self-serving. I get that. Most of you don't feel that way, but there will be a few. I get that. I understand that. But here's the thing. The Bible says a lot. The Bible says a lot about how God's people, about how church is supposed to help, care for, treat pastors, those called in to ministry. And my responsibility as a preacher of the gospel is to teach you not some of what God says, but all of what God says. And so that's what I'm going to do today. And we're going to look very clearly at some passages of Scripture about the relationship between pastors and churches and how you care for pastors. And again, that's not just me. It's all the pastors in this church. But it's also pastors in this community and in other churches. It's pastors that may be a part of your life in the future. And, and I'll say up front, that God's going to, to speak to somebody here about a relationship you had in the past with some pastor somewhere else, and you're going to have to pick up the telephone when we're done today and call that pastor and apologize for something you did. I don't know who that person is, but I know there's probably more than one in this room who will need to do that if you listen to God when we're through studying His Word today because in the past, you didn't treat that person right. It's just like if I preach a sermon on marriage or on relationships. Sometimes you have to go home, pick up the phone, call somebody from your past and make things right because you left them in a bad way, a bad place. So the main thing today is about how to pray for pastors. And I want to begin with that point that pastors need your prayers. Anybody called into ministry needs your prayers. You need prayers of God's people. People need you to pray for them in your Sunday school class, but pastors especially need your prayers. And before we look in Romans 15, here's just one example of Paul's tendency to ask the people in the churches to pray for him and those who were in ministry with him. First Thessalonians, brethren, pray for us. Time and again, when you read the Gospels, when you read the, not the Gospels, when you read the epistles of Paul, over and over, he would ask people to pray for him, and then he would list some specific prayer requests. This is a great example in Romans 15. Let's look at just one verse. Romans 15, verse 30 for a moment. Romans 15, chapter 15, verse 30. Notice what he says. He says, I urge you, brethren, I urge you, or the King James, I think, translates it, I beseech you, I implore you, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now notice the authority. Notice the, 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 the motivation for this request. He says, by the love of the Spirit, the love of the Holy Spirit, the love that He puts within you and within us on the basis of that and on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ, He says, on that foundation, I am urging you, beseeching you to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Some very important teaching in that verse about praying for pastors and about the importance of it. He says, I urge you. Now, I've read that verse for years in our English Bibles. But I have to admit, I had never studied it in the original language of the New Testament, the Greek, until recently. When I back, went back and I, I looked at that verse in Greek, I noticed that the word translated in our English Bibles, urge, is the, word, the Greek word parakaleo. Now, here's what's significant about that. Parakaleo is from the word family that Jesus in John's gospel used 
as one way of referring to the Holy Spirit. Some of you have heard the Holy Spirit referred to as the paraclete. It's a combination of two words in Greek, kaleo, to speak, to call out. And para, beside, to come alongside. And when Jesus in John's gospel referred to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, he was saying the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and not only is within you, but is beside you to strengthen you through your journey, to encourage you, to comfort you, to correct you. The paraclete is there to help you. It's like, have you ever seen someone with a bad ankle and they're walking? Maybe an athlete is injured during the game and, and and teammates go and hit them off the courts and he puts his arms around their shoulders and they help them off the, off the field or off the court. You ever seen that? That's the picture of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He comes beside us and he helps us. And so it was interesting to me that Paul chose that particular word in Romans 15:30 when he says in our English Bibles, I urge you, beseech you. What he's really saying is I need you to come beside me. I need you to be that shoulder that I can lean on. And the way you are that kind of person in my life, he says, is by praying to God for me. It's a powerful image. That, and, and that's the reason he continues in verse 30 by saying, when you do that, you strive together with me. That when you pray for me, you not only are that shoulder I can lean on, that one who's standing beside me to help me, you are striving together with me in this spiritual work, this spiritual battle. Very interesting. I didn't know this until recently. The word translated strive together in that particular passage is the word for synagogue. The word synagogue means in particular a gathering of people for a particular purpose. A gathering of people who are united around a cause. And so Paul is saying you're that shoulder that I can lean on. You are that people that gather with me for the common purpose of the mission of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to reach people for the kingdom and glory of God. And he says, when you pray for us, that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. And I want to begin this message by very clearly saying every pastor, every man of God called into the gospel ministry, ordained by the Holy Spirit and ordained by the local church needs God's people playing that role in their life, that shoulder they can lean on, that, that gathering with them together doing the work of God. And the, one of the critical ways, critical ways you do that is by regularly, regularly praying for those in ministry. Now, some of you will remember last Sunday at the end of the day, I said something that caught a few people off guard. I said, if you're not willing to pray for this church, you give up the right to ever criticize this church. You remember that? If you're not willing to pray for the church, don't criticize the church. That's just hypocritical. Pray, pray, pray. You need to pray for pastors. In fact, I've said in many sermons over the years, when you criticize somebody, let that be a reminder to stop and to pray instead. That if we prayed for people the way we criticize people, it would be amazing what would happen in relationships and in people's lives. And so God says, you come alongside those pastors and you pray for them. And so Steve White over here, Will up here, others on this staff, they need your prayers. Pastors, and by the way, not just at this church, but we've got a lot of pastors in this community who need your prayers. Some of you know some of them. We've got pastors who are going through tough times, pastors of some churches that... that, that, that 
I mean, it's hell on earth for them at times. We've got pastors who are fired. They need your prayers. Other churches in this community need your prayer. Those pastors need your prayers. This is spiritual work, and it's one way you participate in it with them. And so pastors need prayer partners. That's the blank I want you to fill in. Be a pastor's prayer partner, prayer partner. And I've got people in this church who love me and pray for me, and I appreciate it, and it makes a difference. In fact, I've got a prayer ministry for senior adults called the Pastors Advance Team. I meet with them periodically and give them prayer requests from our pastors. And we don't pray for the usual things you get together and pray for. We pray for spiritual things and spiritual things in this church and for requests that I get from our pastors and the date for the next meeting. If you consider yourself a senior adult, and I'll leave it to you to answer that question, however you define yourself. But if you find, if you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm part of that and you've got free time in the day, join us on that date, time, and place. And I'll give you a prayer guide and you can be praying with us. Here's what I want to do. I want to take a few moments and teach from Bible verses, several verses, on how to pray for pastors. Because I hope you see already the importance of it, striving together with them in this important spiritual work of Jesus Christ. So how do you pray for a pastor. I want to try to give you some guidance and how to pray for the pastors at this church and at other churches. Don't have time to really develop it. Just walk through it really, really quickly. And the first one is found in Ephesians chapter 6. And you see it there on the screen in the verses in your notes where the Bible says, pray, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness. I like that, with boldness. The mystery of the gospel. One of the ways you can pray for pastors is to pray that they are bold in their teaching and preaching and sharing the gospel. Pray that they have boldness. Pray pray that they are bold in preaching and in teaching and in preaching because the truth is not every preacher and teacher is bold when it comes to proclaiming the Word of God, but we're supposed to be. And you need to pray that we have have enough faith in the Lord and that we're filled with the Holy Spirit and have the boldness to preach what God tells us to preach and teach and witness out there in the community. Because you all know this, the culture is increasingly hostile to the kingdom of God, right? And it's not easy today to stand for truth. You all deal with that at work. You deal with that in some of your relationships. And, and pastors are looked to and they have influence. So pray that they will speak the truth in love and boldness in the community. But you also need to pray that pastors have boldness when it comes to teaching in the church because the truth is there are some church members who get upset when you preach the truth of God's Word. And it's not always easy. You can be easily intimidated if you're not filled with the Spirit and have the boldness of God to teach the truth of God. So one very real way to pray for pastors is that they have the boldness to teach the truth of God's Word in the church and outside the church. Now we're going to look at some more ways to pray for pastors. And if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's interesting. This is a passage where Paul doesn't say anything about praying for pastors. We're going to look at it anyway. Because it's a passage where he talks about the qualifications for ministry. The, the characteristics, the qualities that God wants in those who are in ministry of pastors, okay? Well, here's the point. If God wants these qualities to be in us, if we are to be growing in these things, and none of us are going to be perfect in them, but if we're growing in these things, and you as a church family are to strive with us in this spiritual battle, it just makes sense if this is what God wants in our lives, that you need to be praying for us and for the development of these qualities in our life, for God's protection in our lives when it comes to these different things. Does that make sense? 
because it's like with your children to have expectations on your kids without also giving them instruction and encouragement to become that you're setting them up for failure well to expect anyone to be anything without encouragement and support and help is just a mistake so if god says this is what i want in the lives of my pastors it makes sense that you who strive with us pray about these things in our life. So I want to read this passage and then list for you a few ways to pray for pastors as we seek to become what God is calling us to become. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 2, he says, An overseer, another name for a pastor, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Now look at verse 6. And not a new convert, not a new Christian, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. In other words, he needs to be someone who's been saved long enough to have grown and, and developed some. As a, as, a, as a believer. Verse 7, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. What, what, you know, my reputation in the community is just as important as my reputation in this church. And that's true of every pastor. Now what I want to do is share with you from that passage some ways to pray for pastors. Here's the first one from this, but number two in your outline. The first one, remember, was boldness to teach, preach, and witness. Number two, pray for the pastor's family and for their marriage. Marriages are under attack today. We know that. Everyone in this room has been brokenhearted at some point because of a failed marriage, right? Not just your, not your own necessarily, but you've known people. And it's just, it hurts. You, people in Sunday school, relatives, friends. Marriage is under attack. It seems like every day we're hearing about more and more marriages. And here's the thing. Satan knows that if he can destroy a pastor's marriage, a pastor's family, he wins. And great damage is done. And so marriages are under attack in our culture. But brothers and sisters, those who are in ministry leadership, Satan makes a special case of targeting those marriages and those families for disaster. And a church needs to undergird the family and undergird the marriage of every man of God, of every pastor, with regular prayer for their family and for their marriages and for Satan to lose, for those marriages to, to be healthy and happy and growing, and for those families to succeed. And, and by the way, you need to come beside those pastors and give them the resources and give them the time off to be with their spouse because you can't have a great marriage if you don't have time away without interruption with your family as well. So pray for their families. Pray for the families of our staff. Okay? Number three. Pray for their moral purity and godly character. In this passage, he talks not only about being the husband of one wife and your children, so marriage, but he also talks about being above reproach and not addicted to wine, having a good reputation. So you need to pray that pastors are growing in Christ-likeness, growing in godliness. I've been saying for several weeks in this sermon series that all of us as followers of Jesus are to become increasingly like Jesus, more Christ-like. We're not going to arrive there. And so I'll be honest. Every pastor I know when they read this list wants to resign. Because that's a pretty, that's a pretty high standard. But all of us are supposed to be growing in Christ's likeness. And that's really what these qualities are. 
And pastors need to be growing. I hope I'm not the same person at 56 as pastor of this church as I was when I was 36 and pastoring this church. And I hope when I'm 66, if God has me here, you won't think of me being exactly the same person I am today because growth means we're getting better. Growth means we're changing. Growth means we're, be, we're maturing and becoming more and more like Jesus. That needs to happen in my life. It needs to happen in your life. But brothers and sisters, you need to pray that pastors are growing spiritually in godliness, Christ-likeness, and in their moral character and in their moral purity. You need to pray for God to protect them because, listen, the thing that gets most pastors in trouble is money and women. Y'all know what I'm saying, right? So pray for God to protect them, to protect their marriages, to protect their character. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. There's a reason in our offices there are glass windows in the door of every pastor's office. That's intentional. That's the, there's a reason I don't want a pastor in a car with another woman who's not his wife, just the two of them, ever under any circumstances. And you need to put safeguard in your lives. And I've said this. Let me. Can I preach on marriage for a minute? Not to preachers, but to you all. It's true of preachers, but it's true of y'all too. Don't you ever discuss the intimate details of your marriage with another person of the opposite sex. Don't you ever discuss the intimate details of your marriage with another person of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. Never, ever, ever Ever, never, I don't care how good of friends you are, don't ever do it. Don't ever do it. All right, back to this sermon. Number four, pray for their emotional health and well-being. He talks in here about being temperate, prudent, hospitable, not pugnacious, gentleness. i got to be honest, there have, time, there have been times in my life, minister, when I wanted to slap a church member. And not with an open hand. Now, I didn't do it. I just said there were a few times I wanted to. It's not, and, now, does that shock you? Have you ever wanted to do that to somebody? It's not always easy to be temperate and gentle and not pugnacious. Sometimes I just want to strangle people. I'm thinking, how crazy can you be? Did you not think before you said what you just said? So you need to pray that we keep our cool under stress. Pray for our emotional healthy. People in all walks of life deal with stress and conflict and criticism and pastors deal with it and unreasonable demands. Uh, so pray for their emotional well-being. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but in a recent seven-year span in South Carolina, we had seven of our Baptist pastors commit suicide. Did you know that? According to research, over 50% of Protestant pastors feel lonely. Because 99 out of 100 times if they go out to eat with a church member, eventually something wrong at church is going to come up in the conversation because they're never off duty. Do you get that? And so a lot of pastors feel lonely and they feel, they, they, they feel that ministry is a privilege and most of them enjoy it, but there is stress. And uh, you need to pray for their emotional well-being, for their emotional health. You may not know this, but, our, but in South Carolina, unfortunately, our state is one of the leading states across the country among Baptists for forced terminations. 
We're absolutely one of the worst states in the country when it comes to forcing pastors out of churches. And many of you know churches in this community and other places that for the last 30 years, they've had one pastor after another, after another, after another. It's like every two, three years they got a new pastor. Y'all know churches like that? Folks, if that's been going on for decades, I got news for you. The problem's not the pastors, it's the church. And I'm blessed. But not every pastor is as blessed as I've been. So pray for pastors and pray for their emotional well-being, their emotional, their emotional health. Number five, pray for them to have financial wisdom and be good stewards. He talks about being free of the love of money. The same thing that gets people in our culture in trouble when it comes to money gets a lot of pastors in trouble when it comes to money. One, a lot of them don't know how to manage it. No one's ever taught them. They've not made themselves available to someone to teach them, and they don't know how to manage money, and they get in trouble. A lot of pastors, just like a lot of people in this room right now, want things they can't afford, and therefore they live too much in debt. And you know what happens when you don't manage your money well? Stress. 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 And also not able to be a, not, 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 not obedient in being a steward, a biblical steward. And so you need to pray that pastors set an example of what it means to manage their money and be wise and, and are stewards and generous in their giving, tithing and, 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 and beyond and, and, and so on. So pray for that. Number six, pray for their preaching and teaching ministry. Not, not, not only that they are bold, but, but for them to hear from God, have a word from God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a young preacher. Paul's an older, experienced preacher, and he's giving Timothy some advice, some instruction from God. And he begins in chapter 4, 2 Timothy, verse 1, by saying, Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the name and the presence of God and Jesus. So here's this old preacher saying to this young preacher, in the name of Jesus Christ and in the name of God and the presence of Jesus and the presence of God, I solemnly charge you knowing that you're going to be judged by this Jesus when he comes back. Young Timothy preacher, I charge you to do this. Verse 2, preach. Preach the word. Be ready. In season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Did you notice all the details? Reprove, rebuke, exhort. I'm to correct you. I'm to confront you. I'm to encourage you. I'm to bless you. I'm to challenge you with great patience. Not a good word in English for that Greek word. It means with endurance, stick and with instruction. Not only what God expects, but here's how you do it. This church has always been good to me when it comes to planning to preach, but I don't know if you know this. There's, um, there are websites to help preachers with research and with sermons. Do you know the busiest, the busiest time of the week on those websites that help preachers with sermon preparation? Late Saturday night. Now, some of it's because some preachers procrastinate. Some of it's because some churches won't allow a preacher to have time to study and be in God's Word and prepare sermons because they expect them to do everything else first and then eventually get around. They'll, they won't say that, but they'll get criticized if they, if they don't do other things 
And so summer in prayer, this church has always been good to me. You allow me to do study retreats. You've always given me time to study, and I thank you for that. But you need to pray that when David Mitchell stands down there on Sunday night with Sabo with our teenagers, he's got a word from God. You need to pray that when one of our pastors is teaching a class, they're teaching Scripture, the Word of God, and they're ready. And I made this church a promise 27 years ago or whenever I came here that if you would give me time to study, I would never step in this pulpit unprepared. And I've tried to keep that word, and you've been really good to me. But, folks, the preaching ministry is priority. And in too many churches, too many churches, it's not. And in some of those, it's the pastor's fault. and some of those, it's the church's fault because everything else matters more than the Word of God. And I'm telling you, everything about church ministry is going to fade into the sunset in eternity. But the one thing that's going to last for eternity is this Word of God that will never, ever fade away. Not one jot, not one tittle. It doesn't change. It's the eternal Word of God. And what you need to encounter God more than anything else is to hear, Thus saith the Lord. And so pray for the preaching ministry and the teaching ministry of those who are called of God to preach and teach, those who are called to be pastors and to lead in worship. All right, one more way to pray for you, pastors. A verse that a lot of you love. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, those who wait for the Lord will what? Are you with me? What will they do? Gain new strength. You ever get tired? You ever need new energy? Hmm? They will mount up with wings like eagles, run, not get tired, walk, not become weary. Have you ever known a church member? They were, in, they were, they were a leader. They were active. They were serving. They, they were busy at church. And then all of a sudden, after years of being active and serving Jesus and being faithful to the church, it was like they hit a, a brick wall and they just dropped out of everything. You ever seen somebody do that? Because you can burn out. And pastors burn out. All of us need spiritual renewal and that spiritual strength. And so you need to pray for the spiritual vitality, the spiritual energy of those who are in, in ministry. I, I ask you to pray for me and other pastors in this church that, that we have spiritual energy, spiritual strength, that God gives it to us. And you also need to understand that you need a quiet time. You need time alone with God. Pastors need that. And as a leader, as a leader, it's critical that I'm walking with God and that these pastors are walking with God. And, and, and our culture doesn't value spiritual retreat. We don't value Sabbath. We don't value not doing so that we can become stronger to do better what God calls us to do. I joked with you a few weeks ago when we got back from Italy not in Rome and the big cities, but small towns in Italy, you just can't find a lot of things open in the afternoons. They're all taking naps or something. I don't know what they close in the afternoon. And as an American, I mean, we're, we're used to, we go, we go, we're 24-7. If you can't get coffee at 2 o'clock in the morning, what's wrong? You know, we go, that's just our mentality. But we don't, because of that, we don't value that God has built into creation and into us the need for Sabbath the need for retreat, to be spiritually strong. Because i tell you what, when, when, when you lose your spiritual vitality, you lose your spiritual energy, you are easy pickings for Satan to get you to fall into some other sin. And so you need to pray for the pastor's walk with Jesus, and then you need to allow them time to grow and spend time with God. Now, and wrapping this up because I'm, I'm out of time. The teenagers over here can see this monitor, and it says I'm two minutes over, right? Right? 
I'm two minutes over. Well, I'm going to go another three or four minutes, so just get over it. How do you support pastors? Look in your notes and look on the screen. First way is to take care of them financially. You have those verses from 1 Corinthians 9. And there's many other verses. These are just an example. And I put that there because every now and then I run into somebody who thinks it's wrong for a church to pay pastors. You don't hear that much, but every now and then. It is a biblical principle that pastors are to be financially supported by the people they serve. And so you pay us. When you give your offering, part of that offering today pays me and the other members of this staff, our pastors and our custodians and our secretaries and everybody else. That's part of what those offerings do. And so thank you for that, and that is biblical. But you also help us in other ways. You know, over the years I've had so many people who've helped me and helped members of our staff by letting us use beach houses and mountain houses and giving us tickets to ball games and things of that nature. And that's another way you bless a pastor materially and financially, and that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Number two, let them lead. Don't make it so hard it's not fun anymore to do their job. Now, that doesn't mean we're dictators and, and uh, we don't need input and et cetera, et cetera, but let pastors lead. Notice what he says in Hebrews 13, verse 17 there. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account, an account to God. Now, look, look at the rest of it. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be, would not be, of, uh, would be of no advantage to you. Let pastors lead. Listen, God has called us to lead. Now, it doesn't mean we're a dictator. I'm not a dictator. But you are to let me lead. And some churches never make any progress because they won't let their pastors lead. And that's not a major issue in this church, but it is in a lot of churches. And that's one way is to help them as they are leading and let them lead. The third thing is to treat them with a lot of love and respect. First Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love. Why? Because of their work. See, it's not just the person who's in the position. It's the ministry that position does. And how you treat pastors impacts the church and impacts the kingdom of God. So treat them with love and respect. Esteem them very highly, he says, with love and respect. Now, as I wrap this up, early on in this sermon I said, there's a few of you in this room, when you go home today, you need to pick up the telephone and call some pastor from your past and apologize. There may just be some man of God out there who needs that word to heal or hurt. Now, if you don't have that in your life, great. Praise God. But if God has convicted you about something from your past, God never talks to you just to waste your time. God never talks to you just to waste your time. I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years. You don't know where you're going to be in 10 years. But remember this message wherever we are in 10 years. What is God saying to you? Now, this is not a sermon of complaint because I don't have a lot of complaints. And by, by the way, I learned a long time ago that complaining doesn't change much. 
Have y'all figured that out? When you complain, it really doesn't change much. It just usually makes you worse. But this is reminding us all of some things that God has said. And I will say to you as a preacher, that coming beside us, praying for us in these ways, and showing some love and respect, man, that makes a big difference, not only in our lives, but in the hand of God on this church. The hand of God on this church. So what is God saying to you? Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, you, the great shepherd, we love you. And we ask that the Holy Spirit help us grow in love for you and one another. And Father, I pray for the people in this room who've heard your voice. That you would help them not only hear, but obey. Father, I thank you for this church and for these people. And I pray that together we would honor you. Help us, O oh God, during this time of response, of repentance, of commitments to grow closer to you and become more like you in Jesus' name. Now listen, if God's been saying something to you about a relationship in the past or a relationship today, then I want you to talk to God about it. Answer him. I want you to follow up with what he tells you. Do what he says. Now some of you who need to join this church, and joining the church is not about just getting your name on a membership list. You know what joining the church is? It's saying I'm committed. I'm not just an observer. I'm not, not going to just sit on the sideline and enjoy, but I'm committed to the kingdom of God. And I'm committed to helping that church become everything God is trying to, to do in it, to, be, to make of it. I'm committed. I'm committed. I'm not just an observer. I'm a participant. I'm committed. And God calls us to commitment. Salvation is a call to commitment. The Christian life is a call to commitment. And there's some of you who need to commit to this church today and help us serve Jesus. And you need to be faithful. You need to be faithful. There are some in this room who need to give your heart and life to Jesus. You're not saved. If you die today, you go to hell, not heaven. And Jesus loves you and died for you. And you've been thinking, I need to get right with God. We have pastors here at the front, counselors ready to pray with you. We invite you to step out and come when we sing this song and say to David, say to Steve, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to become a Christian. Others of you need to kneel here at the altar, sit in these chairs, pray and talk to Jesus about whatever he said to you this morning. So let's sing together. Will and the team will lead us. You come now quickly, make your way to the front, make your decisions right now while we sing.